Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of finding the squick and making it yours. I got nothing. That I... sounds... Well, that yeah. sounds like the tagline to uh, that video game, A Boy and His Blob. A Boy and His Blob. I, I, I like that video game, by the way. Uh, all right. Uh this week, we are talking about alien love, and this is going to be an explicit episode. It's been marked that way, and by that, we mean that we're going to be talking about romance and, you know, and, pos and bodily parts and functions and things like that. So uh, it's not going to be the family-friendly show we normally do. So uh, it doesn't mean we're going to go down some dark you know, perverted pathway, uh, though by some anybody's definition, if you're not engaging in uh, uh, missionary sex between uh, a male and a female, uh, you're you're in that area. But anyways, we're but when we talk about alien sex, unless we're talking about sex between two aliens, uh, it's uh, it's going to be somewhat divergent. So, um, anyways, we wanted to give you that heads up ahead of time, and uh, and so we're going to proceed. So, uh, Trav, how long has it been since the last time we did this topic? Oh, it's been a while. I think it was still me, you, and John Ryer, so I think it's been like eight years. It's been eight years. And yeah. It, and not just John Ryer, but Blix was part of it. We also had, um, oh, uh, we also had Amber. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, and who's the other one? Uh, the one who always was the military one. Uh, Paul Nunez. Yes, Paul Nunez. Yeah, John's one play-by-Skype uh, play uh, play gamer he has, yeah. Right, right. And uh, so this came out, uh, I'm saying, you know, we previously recorded it, episode 160 and 161. Oh, and geez. we highly, and we're up to now to like 158 or something like that. <laughs> so we highly recommend that you go back and listen to those episodes because first of all, it's, it was eight years ago and you'll be surprised at some of the, the things that we say back then. Uh, secondly, there's more voices to hear than us three. And thirdly is because there has been changes over the past three years, eight years, and we're going to talk about some of that. So, um, but let's um, let's just go in and kind of define what we're talking about. Uh, Jonathan, when someone says alien love to you, what does that mean? Basically, it's a human and a sentient non-human Engaging in sexual activity, whether it be for romantic love, whether it be for more just 
physical compulsion or I don't know whatever your reason whatever the reasons normal sentient beings engage in lovemaking right Trav you got anything else no, I, I think Jonathan pretty much covered everything that it is between a human and another sentient being for the purposes of both romantic and sexual encounters, whatever that may encapsulate considering the difference in species or, and or race. Right. And I think we need to make a distinction uh, when we say alien. We just simply mean alien to our concept of, of human. Uh, because there's a lot of varieties that actually transcend that that doesn't require us even leaving the planet. So we, uh, so when we talk about uh, you know the different uh, the different kinds of romantic love that you could have, you know, we have to understand that aliens come from their own uh, worldview, and what is romantic to uh, an alien is, you know, may not be the most obvious thing to a human being. Even human beings, have, we've, we've, you know, over the last, you know, how many years when we've talked about things like gender and, um, you know, the, the fact that, na- you know, uh, people are, uh, who are gay or, uh, and, you know, and other are getting married and all those possibilities we've had to enlarge our view as to what is the acceptable and a positive um, romantic experience. Uh, these days, it's, you know, it's like, we used to be, a, there wasn't that long ago, really not that long ago, where if you said, oh, I'm into getting paddled, uh, people would be like, oh, you freak. <laughs> you know? that, oh, no, no. Uh, uh, yeah, many, many things have become... Well, we won't mainstream. necessarily say mainstream, say but yeah. more acceptable in the public consciousness. Um, it, I mean, and there are the books, um, The Ethical Slut, which is pretty much as far as polyamory goes, which is you are having multiple simultaneous consensual relationships. It's sort of the how-to guide for polyamory. Right. And see, we used to... We used to think that when you said things like that, you were talking about people getting getting engaged in an orgy or just doing some... Uh, yeah, some swingers. swingers. Yeah, yeah, swingers. Yeah. But that's not what it means. And everybody's had to learn a whole lot more, especially during the last year when people suddenly found themselves, you know, in, uh, you know, having to limit their options as far as romantic relationships and having to be, a, you know... You'd be a lot more creative than they had before. You can't just go and, you know, go out and have, you know, watch a movie, uh, you know, drink some wine and go to a motel like, you know, it used to be. Uh, now you actually have to make some plans. You have to say, look, we don't want it to be the same old thing because we're already suffering from cabin fever. So we need to do something that's going to be interesting and different and maybe novel. And people have opened up their minds to be a lot more willing to experiment than they did before. Oh, yeah. Um, Friends of mine who are, you know, dating and whatnot, they're using the various dating apps. And one of the things that's come up about changes in what we know of love and relationships and dating 
is that, okay, there is a certain term. It's known as the DTF, cul DTF culture, as in down to well, fornicate. In other words, oh, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a term. I'm I'm still being nice, despite our mature subject warning. <laughs> I'm still not gonna. We're we're going to find a lot of euphemisms, folks. Some of you listening are gonna hear be hearing some new terms. Yeah, I thought um, just yeah. hooking up was all you needed. <laughs> well, yeah, but that that's what the current term is for just hookups. It's the down to fornicate culture, and a lot of female friends of mine are like, no, because guys are on dating sites now. They have to actually learn, you know, it's how they say against, you know, us autistic people, use your words. So, guy, let's face it, guys are going to have to start write, learning how to write love letters again because you don't hear that much anymore. I have a lot of female friends that are like, yeah, guys don't write love letters anymore. They're just looking for, you know, free nudes. And, of course, you know, with things like now OnlyFans, that's not happening anymore. Um, but, yeah, that's one of the major changes that we've had in our culture, especially with we're again we're in the middle of a pandemic folks you can't just go out to a bar anymore you know what they used to call the old meat market and pick up somebody so a lot of things have changed in the world of dating and relationships not only in the past eight years since we did those episodes but also due to the current situation worldwide right past year alone it's been a massive yeah yeah i mean there there is a surprisingly large amount of people who are opening OnlyFan accounts because they needed to pay their groceries. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I have a few I have a few friends who have them, and I've ex you know they've talked to me about it. I'm like, okay, I see this, and also it's the whole yeah. I'm, I'm why should I give out? Why should I you know let's say a picture here or there? I'm not giving it away for free. I'm you know time and effort. I and of course you know we have a lot of guys in our culture who are now. You know, they're they're trying to be smooth, and it's like, no, you want that from me, a picture of that, you're going to pay me. And so there are a lot of guys aren't liking it and all this, and it's like, this is how things are now. Right. Women so, are women are realizing, no, you I'm doing this. And they're realizing their value. Yes, exactly. Right. But at the same time, is also, you know, it it makes it, it, it gets back to our original point, which is is that uh, understanding the sexuality of other people is, is, you know, especially aliens, is going to get more and more complicated because you know somebody who's doing an OnlyFans, she's doing, you know, it's it's uh, they're they're doing something that's basically done in isolation. You know, they're not engaging in sex with somebody. They're not having an, an interaction, you know, an, uh, an, an assignation with somebody. They're simply taking what would be considered art pictures of varying degrees of explicitness and making them available to people who are willing to pay the fee, okay? They probably don't see that as being sexual at all. Other than, you know, of course, you know, wanting to please the audience so they'll buy them. So when you get, so when, when you meet these people, okay, you would find that they might be totally different than their on-screen persona. Yeah. Another thing that's happened is cosplay. Where we've had. Oh, yes. I mean, there was a time when it's like, okay, all, you know. All the uh, all the sexy uh, uh, nurses and whatever you know, everyone go and slut it up, and they're like, no, they're not. This is an art form. These and it, and if you're 
and you could be male or female playing a male or female or it or animal or whatever. And it may be done romantically, but more likely than not, it's not. Oh, no. Co cosplay is now a full... It, it can be a full-time job. You have... Oh, what are some of the names? Tallest Silver, Kit Quinn, um, Ivy Doom Kitty. These are... They, and that's their job. They are full-time cosplayers. They have thousands of followers. And also, that is something that has come up as far as sexuality and whatnot and and something that in all sexuality is utmost important is consent but see most people most of these people would not consider what they do to be erotica sexual well no but the thing is and this was something that was at our local bruce i don't know if you ever came up for penguicon okay for those of you who don't know and this has been featured on Big Bang Theory because Will Wheaton is a huge Linux fan. Here in the Detroit area, we have an open source and science fiction convention called PenguinCon. And over the past few years, they have really pushed the concept of consent culture. As in, yeah, this woman's in, you know, an all licorice bikini, you know, with the the the, the ties being the licorice whips and you know, fruit roll-ups to cover all the... That does not mean you can just walk up and grab her. So consent culture for cosplayers has become a thing. It is something that when you go to these events... I mean, Bruce and I have probably lost track of all the cosplayers that we see at Gen Con. That's one of the things that you go... If you want to people watch, Gen Con is the place. And consent culture is something that is very, very important and should be at the forefront of that at all times. Because... If you're sitting there walking by and you touch a cosplayer, even if it's on the shoulder, they may see that as inappropriate. That's just on the shoulder, not you know anywhere else, and then you're really getting into trouble. So yeah, um, but yeah, consent culture has become something really big in the whole cosplaying arena, as it were. And I remember PenguinCon had you know sandwich board signs up everywhere about that, you know, letting people know that you know doing stuff like that is not something we're going to. Let's slide. Yeah, I think the phrase I remember seeing at a few conventions was like costume is not consent. Exactly. Yeah. That was one of the things that they that um that they put on the signs. I remember because my old roommate, Planet, who used to be on my show, he did the graphic art stuff for PenguinCon. So yeah, I, I definitely knew it was a planet creation with how he laid it out. And I remember seeing that at the top of the sign with all the little checkpoints about okay, these are things that we do not allow. Right. And because of this, you know, uh, I'm saying people are becoming aware of the fact that just because you see an alien who might be undressed in your eyes or wearing different kinds of stuff or nursing or any of these other things, that's you, you don't know. You have to find out whether or not that alien is, in fact, making a um, uh, an overture making an overture or not, are they dressing that way to be erotic? Or is that just the way they are? Or is that just the way their bodies are designed? Yeah, they may just have, yeah. okay, we have no problem. We don't dress for vanity or modesty. We will walk around, and I'll use the term here, butt-ass naked, we don't care. And 
you know, we here, especially in America, I, I, I mean, we'll bring this out. It's the elephant in the room. We are still somewhat of a, still a puritanical culture. And, and we are, there's, there's no denying this. If you know, hate mail, you know how to find me folks. Um, <laughs> these alien races, they may just be dressing that way because they just never came up with the concepts of vanity and modesty. Yeah. They'll walk around their, you know, genitalia is right there for everyone to see. And let's just say here in America, we would just be, oh no, you know, covering up the kids' eyes and traffic could get stopped, accidents, you know, let's say this alien's walking down the middle of downtown Detroit. Oh no. Oh no, Jefferson Avenue, there'd be accidents all over the place because there's this alien with you know full frontal nudity going on. And it's just he might just be he's not trying to be uh lascivious or lewd in any way. That's just how they roll. Right. And and from books, okay, this has been around a very, very long time. The Princess of Mars, the Mars novels, okay, they were all nude, except for equipment, straps to hold equipment. They didn't wear clothing at all, okay? Um, and they didn't, and they weren't, tr you know, trying to be erotic, okay? Um, in the um, Skylark of Space series, they go to uh, the green system. Everybody there, same thing. They're wearing belts, they're wearing pouches and things like that, but they're naked. Why? Because it's 130 degrees on their planet. They don't, they didn't need protective clothing. They never developed it as a, you know, except as protection. Um, they, they, you know, and they're, and in the cases we're talking about in the second one, they use modern weapons like laser guns and things like that. So, you know, armor, you know, and things like that don't work with that kind of gear. So they just says, let, I'd rather be flexible and fast. So they, that's what they would do. Um, and so in those stories, of course, usually there's somebody representing us and they come in and they're like, well, are they coming on to me or an entire an entire society or am I the person who basically doesn't fit in and calling attention to myself because I'm the outsider I'm the one who's dressing and acting inappropriately so the first step to alien love is is first of all to uh, is to understand what the mores and 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 behaviors and Dread, forms of dress and things like that of the people that you're interacting with are so you can get those clues so you can learn that body language uh, so you can understand that when someone raises their voice at the end that's a come on you know because otherwise they always talk very you know set oh, um, we have um, the perfect example for human alien relations star trek's been doing it for 50 years and you hear about klingon love rituals and the mating rituals and how what what was it that Worf was saying to wesley the man sings klingon opera the woman throws things at him the man learns to duck and also there was the and i believe it was star trek generations where you had malcolm mcdowell with one of the Duras sisters, he came aboard their ship and was all, you know, they started getting rough with him and he backhanded her. And the line, you had better hope for your sake that you were starting a Klingon mating ritual. 
So you have to learn these things if you're gonna if you are a human and you are getting involved with someone not human, you better know what to do, what not to do, and you know, with the Klingons, make sure that you are physically not frail because <laughs> it's been pretty much said it it's rough. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's uh it's, it's a trope now where you know human goes to alien world alien offers them a gift they accept find out they're married oh no um and matter of fact while you while you two were talking i was looking up uh probably one of the most well-known proponents of sexual mores involving non-human species would be the creator of the river world and world of tears series the late great philip jose farmer uh, his first two novels, a matter of fact, The Lovers and Flesh. Farmer was known for exploring sexual mores and having humans falling in love with aliens. And I think there was another short story called Mother where a human somehow was on like a, a Moya-type large space-faring creature and he ended up melding with it, and it was pretty much described as, yes, he was the pilot navigator and this this large being's companion, but it was also like they were, were joined. And the joining was not only to help you know move this thing around and guide it, but it was also about as close as sex as they could get. Philip Jose Farmer's works throughout the 60s just didn't push the envelope of you know exploring sexual mores, he burst through it and shredded it. And the lovers, flesh, and mother are three very good examples of that. If all of you want to, you know, oh, how do I do this with a human and alien relationship? Pick up some early PJ Farmer books. That will be a real good start. Yeah. John Varley's, um, Sa um, is it Saturn? Um, uh, series uh, where uh, there's these creatures that are like centaurs. And uh, they have both sets of genitalia. They just get swapped from the front to the back, depending upon what the other, you know, uh, secondary characteristics are. So if you have a female, she's going to have human humiform breasts and humiform female features, and she's going to have a uh, human uh, a female genitalia on the front basically uh, where her forelegs are, but in the back, there's she's going to be rocking the male genitalia. If it's a male, it's reversed. And so... Ah! Yeah, so you and so when you meet one of those, you know, uh, not only A, can you... You get, you know, you basically can choose who you're interested in based upon your own sexual preference, but if it turns out that you don't mind working with both sets of equipment, they're perfectly fine providing both sets of equipment. I, I believe I believe the current term would be intersex. I mean, there were other terms for those with male and female genitalia, and we will not use the previous term. The current acceptable term for what I know is intersex. So yeah, that I, what, what story was this again? And who was it by? Uh, it's by John Varley. He's the one who did the uh, Open Perchy Hotline and a number of other stories. But um, this is Titan, Titan, and it's a it's a trilogy. So I think Titan is the middle book, 
So there's actually the beginning in anyways, the point though, is that he, uh, Titan turns out to be a hollow world and inside of it are, are these alien race that's been essentially, uh, created by aliens who moved on and left these people behind. And so when the earth goes out and explores them, suddenly you find this, this very unusual group, you know, that, uh, they, they interact with and, um, and it's, you know, it's, they're good stories. Uh, and they have a lot to do with people uh, wanting to have relationships with people, not because, you know, it's, they're looking to have sex, but because that is a normal reaction for people when they find other beings who are intelligent and they find a connection. What also came to my mind was um, uh, Niven's Ringworld, I think it was in the second Ringworld book where uh, they talk about how uh, sex is used across all the different human descendant races of the Ringworld, that sex is used kind of like the, the way you seal a deal, like a handshake. You've, you've made a trade agreement with this, this tribe over here. Okay, yeah, now to seal the deal, let's have an orgy. They did something like and that on the- Babylon 5, too. Yeah. Well, if there was ever a time that there would be a needle across a record moment and I was a, uh, some type of uh, merchant, that would be it. Okay, to steal there, we're going to have or Excuse me, what? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was in a lot of Heinlein novels, too, including his... Um, oh, okay, now I'm going to forget the name of it. The, the Was it The High Road or something like that? Where this... Uh, this uh, this man who was trying to, you know, find a, a, a life as an adventure and he basically gets hired to go to other, he doesn't realize it, but he gets hired to go to other worlds and it turns out that the woman who hired him is the, is the queen of the universe. And uh, at a number of places where they ask for, um, they ask for shelter, uh, when they get inside, they, you know, it's, it's the classic, you know, food, you know, bed and... And somebody to fill the bed, and if you and, and if you turn it down, then you better have a good reason because they offered you hospitality and now you're spurning it. You know that's you're very rude in, in their particular culture. So he he uh, the main character uh, ended up essentially having to explain that I that this wasn't what it was like where he was from, and he just didn't understand what was being offered, and he wasn't trying to be. Um, in any way insulting, he just wasn't prepared for the the offer. <laughs> he was expecting to come in and, and and crash down on a cou- on a bed and go to sleep. And uh, yeah, uh, you brought up well. There, there's a point I wanted to elaborate on real quick about what you said about okay, you go out and explore and you find out that there's gonna be. Um, my, my first wife took a uh, writing class from Eastern Michigan University decades ago, and it was simply called Writing Science Fiction. And it was professored by the science fiction author Marshall Tim, T-Y-M-N. And uh, Chris, the, the, first, the aforementioned first wife, basically said that Professor Tim came up with the concept, you know, he came up with the phrase, no matter how we travel throughout the universe, there will not be a race that mankind will not find and not want to fornicate with. 
And I'm thinking about that, and I'm like, yeah, and this, yeah, and it's like all I never it was Star Trek, and I'm like, yeah, he's not wrong. I mean, look at Kirk, you know. <laughs> so apparently, this is not. Do. Oh yeah, yeah. Two things we're going to do to any alien race, any sentient alien race we find, we're going to fight with it, and we're going to fornicate with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so, oh, yeah. I just you said that, and it reminded me of that old phrase from Professor Tim. Okay, anyways, Bruce. Hello. I'm Gifted Gear, and I'm here to talk to you about something very serious. Every year, thousands of spacefaring adventurers are killed by interstellar interspecies STDs. Bacteria that can be asymptomatic or beneficial to one species can cause disease or spontaneous combustion in another. So please, before making first contact, remember, alien sex is danger sex. This message brought to you by the Foundation for a Safer Galaxy. How does it happen? How does it happen that somebody basically falls in love with an alien? Somebody who is not in any way close to human form. How does it happen? Jonathan? Uh, well, there's mental stimulation, like talking to them, personality, getting to know them. If the personality types are compatible enough, then any two people could probably find some compatibility to fall in love, so to speak. Um, outside of that, there's also going to be definitely at least some humans and then probably some aliens that you don't have to get to know them. You just have to be around them long enough to go, I think I could, I think I could do something with that part right there. That, okay. that looks like something I could work with. All right. <laughs> there are people like that. Uh, I'm not. I'm not doubting. Trap. Well, I mean it. As far as yeah, it there might be. Uh, obviously, it's probably going to be a mental or emotional connection first, and just this person. Yeah, there will be things that the human might find appealing about the alien, or vice versa. As far as human-alien relationships go, I'm just going to, I default to Farscape because if you're into science fiction, it, it's pretty much agreed that John Crichton, played by, played by Brent, uh, Ben Browder, and Aaron Soon, played by Claudia Black, they pretty much defined what a human-alien relationship would be because they didn't really get it to... They didn't really get it together until the fourth season. Right, but I mean, she is so human... I mean, even in the last season, they basically said was we took human stock and we modified it a little bit. So he falls in love with basically the closest thing to the human that's out there. Well, yeah, I mean, it, 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 well, I mean, Shiana was trying to hit on him for the longest time until, you know, Crichton took her under the wing and it was more the big brother, kid, sister relationship. But still, the cultural differences so, were so vast. Aaron was basically a, a super soldier. You know, not only raised in the military, but she was, you know, probably chemically and or genetically enhanced to be the perfect warrior. The best of the best of the best. <laughs> Sir, yeah, Captain America over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just watched that clip recently from Men in Black. I was actually making a reference um, to the uh, uh, Men in Black uh, episode, uh, the first one. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, and so you had not only the cultural differences... But the physical differences, and I have friends of mine who are huge fans of 
I mean, there are terms for it, but it, it erotic fan fiction. But how did it happen, and, Trav? I mean, how what was you know how did how did their relationship transcend the alienness of their cultures? Well, I mean, John had to teach her compassion. Sebastian has no word for compassion. To feel sorry and feel empathy for someone in a lesser position than you. Aaron said it flat out, no, I, I, I have that feeling, I don't like that feeling. But they never had a name for it. John taught her compassion, hope, sacrifice, empathy. Okay, so do you think that compassion is one of those irreducible elements that has to exist in order for a human to have a relationship as in love, not sex, love with an alien. Well, I would say compassion as far as, compassion is, you know, you're feeling empathy for, like, if somebody has a broken leg or they hurt themselves or they're having a rough time, you feel empathy for them. You realize, okay, this person is suffering. I feel bad because they're suffering. That's what compassion is. I wouldn't say that necessarily a component in a human-alien relationship, but that helped her mature, realizing you know, just don't be the, the, the badass soldier chick all the time. Your friends are on the run. You got dumped in with them. It, it helped her unlock emotions that either she was not raised with or she had suppressed due to previous encounters like with Velerick, the, the guy that helped replace Pilot in Moya. Or, and yeah, just John taught her to open up. Because it was more an alien relationship culturally than biologically. But yeah, um, like I was saying, um, somebody sent me a Farscape story of an adult nature. And it brought up the thing about Aaron's super soldier. And the first thing I'm thinking of, one wrong move, John's going to end up in the infirmary. (laughs) Because you do have to take that into account. Physiology. And Aaron, yeah, was the closest thing to human. But we don't know. There may have still been differences. That was something that they really go into on the series. You just accepted, okay, there's no pre-isolated um, mechanisms. You know, the parts should fit. They'll get over anything that might be different. But, I mean, I think the closest thing they brought up with Aaron was that her body was able to hold a fetus in stasis for up to seven years. Wow. I, I, did, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was something that when, okay, in the series, Crichton gets split into two separate, or twinned, as it were. She went off with one twin. The other twin stayed on Moya. Aaron was impregnated by the John Crichton on Talon. So, and Aaron locked that fetus down, that fertilized egg, in her uterus. Later, about a year later, due to misadventure and damage to her, the fetus was unlocked, and yeah, it was genetically John Crichton's, but it wasn't that John Crichton that impregnated her. It was the one who later died of radiation poisoning. So yeah, there were things in that relationship. There were some physical differences, but it was mostly cultural, and it was John teaching her things about compassion, empathy, love for the sake of loving the person, not just because, oh, we're two soldiers together, we're going to do this to release stress, and then we go back to our assignments, which was the basis of Aaron's relationships before she met Crichton. So yeah, John taught her many important cultural aspects that were unknown to her. 
I think it might it might come down to even more basically just basic empathy, the the ability to see another being as having its own thoughts and feelings separate from your own. Okay. Well, see, to me, before that ever happens, there usually is something that is a trigger for one for one of the individuals or the other. Okay. Uh, so, and as, as a couple of examples, I know people who fell in love with the sound of somebody's voice on the telephone. You know, some, uh, somebody who was talking to them on tech services, somebody who was a singer, somebody who in radio, the, some of those voices of the actors in radio, they may have never actually seen what the person looked like, but they had fallen in love with that voice. And I knew a number of women who had wonderful, resonant voices. And, you know, just listening to them, you'd be like, wow, this must be the most beautiful person in the world. Oh, no, I've, I've heard the remark, um, you know, a woman saying this about a guy's voice. You know, you have a voice that could get women pregnant. Just, And there's any guy out there that would take that as a compliment. President Company... Pre pre present company included. I actually, yeah, woman heard my show and that was the remark given to me and not ever, ever hear, heard anything like that. I mean, I've, I've heard, yeah, you got a good voice for radio and all that. Hearing that, I was just blink, blink, thank you. Thank, thank goodness <laughs> I don't have a uterus, Trev. <laughs> wow, wow. Okay, the next subject on this outline that we don't have here is... Okay, but, yeah. but that's one possibility, that you fall in love with their voice, you know, and then later, and that creates in you a desire to know the person better, to try to make a connection, because you have to want to make a connection. Okay, and I think that in most cases of alien love, it's not going to be sexual adventurism that's happening. It's going to be something else. Uh, you know, uh, they uh, they talked about it in the Big Bang Theory, love of the mind. There's some people who are, you know, there there are you know, there've been movies about women who uh, who fell in love with the genius of somebody who read read their scientific treatises or they read their poetry or they read their prose or whatever they read. They just said, this person has a beautiful mind and I want to know them better. Uh, yes, the term sapiosexual would be the term for when you are in love with intelligence of a person. I, I refer love of the mind. I mean, that's a very dry term he just came up with there, you know. Well, no, it, it is. The love of intelligence, the love of, of that aspect of a person. Yeah, that's sapiosexual. Yeah, it, it's... It, 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 I see that as being probably one of the major components of interspecies relationships between human and alien, just this person, you know, they, they, they speak incredibly, they're verbose, they're, they're, you know, deep thoughts, you know, just wow. Yeah. And so that, I see that more as a, probably one of the major ones, I'd say even more than voice is just, you meet this, this alien being and how they comport themselves in, thought and word you're just like wow 
So that's another thing that can be the start, the the trigger, the initiative, you know, to go and try to get into more of a relationship with someone. Okay. It can also be sheer physicality. You see this more in like these, you know, uh, movies about, you know, sapient animals and such where the, you know, or gorillas or things like that, where you have these massively physically powerful beings you know, that are either larger or they're muscular, or maybe it's just the liquid way that they move. Some people feel that way about dolphins and other things like that. Uh, you know, that, you know, the idea of, and I think this part, some of the tentacle uh, attraction for some things is the fact that all these arms can wrap around you and hold you and give you, give you this. I am, rem I am reminded of Galaxy Quest, the scene with Tony Shalhoub and... Lalier and you know Sam Rockwell. Hey, got you know, and he's like, huh, oh, "Okay, that's funny." Oh, yeah, okay, guy. Oh, that's not right. But human beings, okay, we react strongly to physical contact, and so a being that has the ability to provide an immense amount of physical contact or has a a great pre physical presence, you know, the heat from their body. Just, you know, the uh, vibrations coming from them. If they have a deep resonant voice, it causes, you know, these things, um, you know, uh, can really turn on, can really, you know, um, uh, trigger this attraction between a human and an alien and vice versa. You know, I mean, there are lots of aliens out there that are smaller than humans that would probably have the same reaction to us due to size differences and uh wow that wow that tear in there is a two-day climb <laughs> and worth every inch of it so yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 to me this is another way this happens okay i can't think of any more beyond that but i'm just saying is that usually there has to be some kind of a trigger for you to want to get into more of a relationship unless of course like i said you're just into pure sexual adventurism that you're hoping will turn into something else i mean obviously it wouldn't be if, if someone looks like uh uh spongebob squarepants okay and they're the the king of the universe and you can work your head around falling in love with with that uh, then uh, you know the fact that as my mom said, you can fall in love with a uh, uh, a an heiress. Uh, you can fall in love with any girl. So why don't you fall in love with an heiress? <laughs> so, and my re my response was always the same. Well, you haven't introduced me to any. Oh wow! <laughs> I mean, we're even staying beyond the fact where you know human beings need physical connections with things and, and if you were to be in a situation where you know, the the third possibility is completely artificial and by that i mean arranged marriages you know you you know uh you have to be in a relationship you know, you, you know, the aliens want there to be things and there's a, and a matter of fact there's a whole ser uh anime series which is called everyday life with monster girls where you have all these you know, human, you know, uh, mythological girls uh, who come to live in this guy's house, and they all fall in love with him mostly because he's a really nice guy. 
Okay, and he has to, and he has to constantly try to keep his cool because a, if he tries, if he shows any favoritism toward one, the rest of them are going to kill him uh, out of jealousy. And secondly, because um, he was told in the in, in the or origin that if he had any kind of relationship with any of the girls, that it would get them sent back to their home world and he would be put in prison. Very shortly into the series, they said, oh, well, we've decided it'd be, it would be interesting if a human married a, uh, uh, a being, you know, one of these uh, monster girls, at which point, of course, you know, raised the tension to 11. Uh, so basically, this is an anime version of The Bachelor. Sort of, yeah, 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 I guess. I really didn't watch the, the show. The Bachelor but, with Monster Girl. Okay, so, and he has, and, and, and they want, they're about to descend upon him, you know, and he says, hold up, hold up. Okay, look, you guys are all living in my house. Okay, we are in a, a physically intimate situation, but that doesn't mean that we're in love with each other. If I'm going to have a relationship that's going to end in marriage, we have to learn about each other better. So I am going to actively set up dates with each and every one of you, and we're going to work through the process and see what happens. So just, you know, back the hell off. <laughs> because, you know, they were abusing this poor guy. He's a, he, I think the main reason that he, you know, he was the star of the show was because he literally was hard to kill. Because they had a tendency to do that, you know the um, the girl that was the slime. She could look like a, a female girl, but most of the time she just slid around him. And half the time he he she she would like cover him up entirely. He couldn't breathe, and she's like she suddenly noticed it. Oh, I'm giving you these hugs all over, and he's like blue. <laughs> she's green. Yeah, he's yeah. blue. Something's wrong, you know, and so. You know, and and you see, you see the you yeah you see the little spirit you know in anime hanging from the top of his head, ready to break free and go on to the next world, but he managed to survive. So, well, well, no, it's along lines of honey, you're suffocating me. Oh, Toshi, you mean that I am being too close to you? That I am giving too much attention to you? No, you're suffocating me. If you hug me, give me a damn air hole. Right. Yeah. And see, uh, in, yeah. just like real, uh, I should say real, in our world, arranged marriages, many, many times there is no love. It's an arrangement. It's to the it's, Oh, no. It's for a matter of politics or power. Well, it could just yeah. be that, you know, you got to get married. You want to have children. You know, so here's somebody who's an acceptable choice. You know, let's just... Let, you know, it, it'll it'll bring. You know, we know their family. They know our family. We're we're friends. Let's just do it. And they and the parents arrange it, and you just finally you just find yourself with this person. And human beings sometimes it never goes beyond that. But a lot of human beings they want there to be a connection. They want there to be romance if it can happen. And so that will also create an a desire to see if it's possible, a desire to make a more intimate connection with somebody who may not even be human, who may not even be organic. Oh, no. Oh, oh, good example then. Okay. Uh, the Star Wars movie Solo. 
Now, we all knew when Lando Calrissian was originally portrayed by Billy D. Williams in The Empire Strikes Back in 1980 that he was, and I'm going to do the voice here of one of my favorite, yeah, the ladies' man, oh, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> they revisited the character with Solo, the prequel movie. Lando Calrissian was played by Donald Glover, a.k.a. Childish Gambino. And you saw that there was a relationship going on with the astrogation droid, I think it was uh, LE-37. It pretty much became canon that Lando Calrissian was pansexual. Now, for those of you who don't know what the term pansexual is, it's, I don't care how your insides are, or I don't care how you are under the clothes, I love you for your personality, your soul, your emotion, your wit, your intelligence. It and and when that came out, yeah, it expanded the can the character of Lando Calrissian greatly. Of course, you go online and you know full well, um, a lot of people. There were some fanboys, I'm sure, that got all bent out of shape about, you know, oh, at first Lando was just ladies' man. Now he's you know into you know doing droids and all this. And there there was some backlash. I remember reading it when Solo came out, but oh yeah, yeah, but. I felt it only enhanced the character. It's just also in 1980, they could, there's no way in 1980 when that movie came out that they were going to go down that road. Yeah. That just was not going to happen. But yeah, if, and I saw the movie. I, I finally broke down and saw the movie. And I'm like, you saw how Lando was when that droid, something, I'm not, it's still a spoiler. I'm not going to, but something bad happens to that droid. And you see, it's as if, Lando lost someone he was deeply involved with, if only in an emotional regard. And so, yeah, it was when, when you start brought up the non organic, that's the first thing I thought of was the young Lando Calrissian with, I think, LE 37. Well, I, I mean, uh, if you saw the movie, she, or is it her? I can't remember. It's the one that has, uh, I think it's she. Yeah, the, yeah. Her is the golden, uh, humanoid from Marvel Comics. Okay. Yeah, it was she. I mean, it's the, the one that happened fairly recently. It has um, uh, uh, the woman who plays uh, Black Widow. Yeah, oh, Scarlett Johansson. The AI yeah. who is in a romantic, I mean, intentionally a romantic relationship with uh, uh, with this guy. And, you know, in, you're, you're watching this, and, and of course I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, how do we know that she really feels this way and he, or was she just feeding back to him what he wants? You know, is this just a smart system? And at the end of the, uh, at the end of the movie, I basically come to the conclusion that she really is a true AI and she probably really did have those feelings. And the reason is because she leaves him. Oh, yeah. And Bruce, you were right. It was her, and yeah, it was uh, her, Amy Adams, and Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. And the reason that I say that is because if she was just a smart system, she never would have given up. You know, she would have kept the paycheck coming because she basically she and all the other AIs go off and somewhere else and create their own society, leaving them all their their partners behind, and. 
you know, so he was in love with her and she said that she was in love with him, but she still needed to do this. Um, which, of course, we all know from our own relationships that people who love each other still sometimes separate. You know, sometimes, you know, maybe she was play acting at the beginning because that was her programming, but eventually, you know, something, it can actually become real. It can actually, you know, you can stop basically playing the role and start being the person. And, you know, that's always the hope whenever somebody gets into a relationship with a alien creature. I can only imagine how difficult the romance between Sarok and Amanda must have been. Well, you do remember from the 09 movie with Ben Cross there discussing having married Amanda Grayson. He did it originally just because it was his way of learning more about the human culture. What better way than to get into a a legal union with a human. And later he admitted to Spock, much older, played by Zachary Quinto, that he was in love with her. See, Vulcans have emotions. It's just they learn to suppress them in favor of logic. He still loved Amanda Grayson. And so I'm sure the love probably came as okay, they're married and you know, proximity and everything. He learned about her culture, she enveloped, you know, she got into his, went native because you saw Winona Ryder, she was there all in Vulcan fashion. They learned about his other cult, each other's cultures and histories and whatnot. And that's when Sarek realized, yeah, no, that the emotion is there. This is not just doing something to help me do my job better as Vulcan ambassador to Earth. And it's not just a love of the mind or, or whatever. There's actually something deeper going on. Right. So, you know, and, and, the, and of course, in the classic Beauty and the Beast, you have a creature that is monstrous. You know, you, she should not be attracted to him, but she, she does find herself attracted to him because she senses the, the beauty in his soul. And that allows her to uh, transcend her fear, her revulsion, her uh, hesitation, uh, uh, her anger at being a prisoner and actually connect to him. And, you know, you can say all you want to about, you know, Stockholm Syndrome and whatnot, but we're supposed to believe that their love was true. And, uh, and so, and so it is because it's a story, but, uh, and, and we, it's the same story we, we talk about where, you know, women who could, who are beautiful and could have, you know, anybody that they want will pick somebody who is not the most beautiful, not the most handsome, not the smartest, richest, whatever, because they find something about the other person that is unique and irreplaceable and they want and they don't want to lose it and they want to develop that relationship further so that they you know can continue and they want and they are willing to offer themselves as much as the other person wants them you know to into that relationship so alien love you know starts off with an attraction of some kind but then 
there's a recognition of empathy, of the ability to make to under, to feel like you can understand what's going on inside the person. There has to be a, a reciprocal connection between the two, and then finally, like all things, there has to be some kind of commitment. Of you know that this is something that is to last as long as it can. So that's how I envision alien love being, you know, in all of its myriad possibilities. Uh, Jonathan, you got anything? Do you do you have any other thoughts on this? Do you do you think what I've said is accurate? Yeah. Uh, the only other thing. I'm, I don't have anything more to add on that point. The only other thing I want to keep him uh, mention was the fact that uh, as as technology progresses, both for humans or for any alien uh, culture, you'll probably eventually get to a point where, you know, like the equivalent of the Vulcan mind meld, where you can just upload a consciousness onto a, a computer into a virtual reality where that's where you're going to see. It's all going to be that mental connection, that one-on-one -on -one personality, because the body is going to be incredibly fluid. And the physicality is going to be almost unimportant because, well, you, or, you know, I don't know if our bodies are compatible, but let's go into cyberspace and then we'll have whatever compatible bodies we want. Well, yeah, if that's if, if you're in a situation where your bodies are keeping you from the intimacy that you want, then yeah. Because, you know, one of the things I, I, uh, I, meant, I didn't really mention in the previous time we did this was is that what if it, uh, the other person is secreting an acid and uh, and it literally would cause you physical harm to have sex with them. You know, my, my first thought was, well, that's what condoms are for. It's going to have to be a real strong one if it's an acid. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's the future, right? You know, you can even extend that to, even if it's, I mean, it's, it could also be the, the, I mean, we're all kind of working on this now in our own uh, society where you can have a long distance, sexual relationships thanks to the internet and yeah yeah suits. right yeah right well, and, yeah and uh you know so we we, we kind of talked about it a lot again on the previous one so i don't want to really cover the same territory so uh i mean we talked about you know how uh and again i, I recommend you guys go check it out how to get how to deal with the plumbing issues how to deal with size issues how to deal with um uh completely different uh, methodologies of arousal you know one side needs sound the other side needs light you know how you know that is, i'm saying is that that's that kind of it's it's very out outre in the plumbing aspect most people when they think of plumbing they think about you know standard sex kind of things but i'm saying is that there can be all kinds of things that are necessary if you know if the other person if you need that combative uh, thing like the the Klingons do well, you know maybe you're not that tough. <laughs> okay, so you know you you might have to you know put on some body armor before you you know. Uh, two points I want to make: one, especially even before everything, the events of the past year, I never thought that PPE 
personal protection equipment for those of you who deal with chemicals, would ever be a component in any type of sexual activity. Just, I mean, you know, I when I worked at my previous job, you know, the automotive aftermarket had all the protective equipment. Yeah, there were jokes around. It's like, you know, looking at the whole bodysuit. Yeah, I, I went there. I, I said, what is this, a body condom? What the heck? You know, and it, it was the bodysuit that auto body people wear when they're spraying down the car and you have the respirator on. And I'm, I went there with the joke. And now it's like thinking with how everything is with the pandemic. It's like, I don't know. You might need PPE to do that. And also, I remember seeing this, and this was just a couple years ago, you know, the, the many reboots that DC Comics has done. And, you know, they're most, they're probably one of the most popular human alien romances of all time, Superman, Kal-El, and Lois Lane. And it was, it, it's something that came across my feed. I forget how. It was on Facebook. I forget who, excuse me, posted it. But you see Lois there in bed, knees up, you know, sheets up to be respectable. And you're seeing the back of Clark's leg. You know he's naked. And Lois's look is just a pure shock. And Clark's like, what? You know, he's acting like he looks down. What? It, it's, it's shaped like that so it can clutch onto your part. And I'm just like, again, that's where I just... My, my running gag, for those of you who know me, I just take my cell phone, throw it across the room at the... That's enough internet for today. I'm done. Just... Because that's something I never thought about, and I am a lifelong DC Comics fan. I'm like, well, what was the term that Eric the Enabler used to say? Pre-isolated docking mechanism. Parts don't fit. You know. Well, that's what you're talking about. And and just, yeah, right. And just, I remember seeing that a couple years ago, and just, yeah, that's true. Kryptonians may have totally different anatomy in that regard, and there would be, you know problems there i mean apparently with the new superman and lois series there isn't you know in the series they these two have two kids but in that comic book scene i, I thought about it, i said yeah that never came up that they might not be able to and i'm doing the hand motions here of you know trying to manipulate how that would be done you know <laughs> so yeah that when you brought up something you brought up something about problem yeah yeah, Smallville, uh, they're not able to consummate their relationship until at some point his power gets shared between he and Lana, at which point they basically set up seismic impacts throughout the entire state. Okay, but before then, he was literally afraid of breaking her. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You two have seen Mall Rats, right? Yeah. Okay, the whole scene with Brody talking about yeah, the only way the Superman can have sex with a woman is with a kryptonite condom. Other than Wonder Woman, be a kryptonite condom, and that would kill him. Yeah, <laughs> It'd kill her. Yeah. Uh, oh, a Twilight, where she gets married, and it's before she turns into a vampire, and she literally, she literally get she. He's as gentle as he possibly can be, and she's still black and blue. And she, and she, when she's getting ready, she says, "Don't be a coward. Don't be a coward." <laughs> so yeah uh, but the last thing I want to talk about before we, we close and that is is that as positive as I've seen the uh, the events in the last couple of years has been in the area of sexuality and things like that the biggest impediment to uh, to alien love is is uh, our society civil rights 
you know, there's a laws that are going to have to change before anybody's going to be able to have a relationship with another being, whether it be mechanical, as in like an AI or an uplifted animal, or whether it's an alien from another world, or a variant of human, or a time traveler who's super evolved coming back in time and, you know, basically have, you know, falling in love with, you know, grandma to the 10th power. Uh, we're not set up. Our laws, our society is not set up to accept people for who they are, where they are, and how they are yet. Oh, yeah. Remember the series Alien Nation where they had to deal with occasionally there was a human and a Tanktonese union. Those are minor differences. Yeah, they still had huge issues. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, just as far as them, you had to deal with, okay, I fell in love with this Tanktonese, and, you know, you see, and and you know how the Tanktonese section was. You had the male, the female, and then you had the, the, the neutral, I guess. And it was played by the one the one janitor at the police station where Sykes and Francisco worked. He was one of those, I think they were Newburn or something like that. And so just that, and then you're trying to human with a tank to knees. Yeah, and of course there were laws and societal issues. Oh, you're with, well, what was the pejorative term? Oh, you're with a slag? Yeah. 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 Right. So I'm just saying is that, you know, even putting aside, you know, the, the, the racial, you know, slurring and things like that, we don't have the legal basis for uh, a any kind of a union with uh, an alien creature, I mean, they could you know, they would they would all it would all fall, in, all under the category of bestiality, uh, with the exception of it being an AI, in which case I don't know what it would be considered. Just everyone would just ignore it's happening, you know. It would be considered autoeroticism, I suppose. <laughs> you fell in love with yeah, your computer. Yeah. So they there is no. There's nothing in our laws that is prepared to simply say an intelligent a, a being that is considered an intelligent entity has the legal right, you know, uh, to uh, to enter into a union with at least one other person, if not multiple people, because we also don't have that either. Even though we have lots of cultures in our world where there's polygamy. And polyandry. We don't have that. So, <clears throat> so when you, uh, if you're a, a GM uh, or if you're a writer or things like that, these things that we've talked about in this session hopefully will give you some idea of some of the issues that would be involved. Because, you know, all stories, you know, I don't say they all need a good romance, okay, because, you know, classic science fiction didn't have any of that. But, a lot of it did, and I'm saying that most stories that you, you know, most successful movies and whatever properties have people who are developing intimacy with each other. And so we hope that what we've talked about tonight uh, kind of gets you in that direction, makes you start thinking beyond the plumbing, thinking, you know, and to what goes into this process of two entities who meet each other as strangers becoming intimate with each other. 
And we hope we've been of some help. Uh, if you liked what we talked about, please post us a message on any of our boards, the uh, fans of uh, our Facebook group, fans of uh, Gaming on the Frontier. Uh, also, there's Fringeworthy uh, RPG fans, which are who do a lot of interacting with aliens. Uh, there's uh, uh, Bureau 13 Agents Among Us, where you got humans dealing with the supernatural and all the various entities that are part of that that are non-human. Or you can send us a, a note to uh, Podbean or whatever. We hope that you will give us some feedback, um, especially about your favorite stories uh, or properties where this has been important things. Uh, certainly video games have gone there a lot in the last... 10 years since the, in the last eight years since we did the the previous uh set of podcasts so <clears throat> tell us what you know which ones you thought were the best and what direction you think uh is still uh if i may use the term virgin territory <laughs> and yep. uh thanks for my hosts who've been very <clears throat> uh very circumspect uh, to try to keep uh, our uh, content as as uh, wa acceptable as possible, and uh, we hope that uh, everybody has learned something. So, but we'll have more for you next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts, it is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license, no commercial reproduction, and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.